Hello, everyone. I'm Bill Raggio, a senior fellow at Foundation for Defense of Democracies and editor of FDD's Long War Journal. And this is Generation Jihad, the podcast that discusses the happenings in what used to be known as the global war on terror, what we call the long war, and what the, some people wanted to refer as the endless wars. But as we've noted numerous times, these endless wars they don't end. Um, we, the United States, may want to end our involvement in these wars, but jihadists, they keep on it going. Um, today, I have my friend and colleague, uh, Caleb Weiss. He's a senior analyst at the Bridgeway Foundation and a contributor and analyst for FDD's Long War Journal. Caleb, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you again for having me. At this point, I feel like I'm just like a, a normal co-host rather than a, I, a guest. Yeah, that's my preference, Caleb. So <laughs> let's let's just let's just make it happen. Um, yeah. So Caleb, uh, you know, always tracking the ongoings in the jihad across the world. Uh, recently, there was a prison break in Nigeria. Caleb's going to break that down for us shortly. Um, but uh, what? Uh, so and that's what we're going to discuss: jihadist prison breaks, uh, sort of a brief history of it, what it means to the jihadist groups. Uh, this conversation is. Really, with the the founding of Generation Jihad with uh, Tom Jocelyn and I, we you know have and and also with conversations with Caleb, we have and we're like, boy, this always would be interesting if we, you know, I wish we recorded that and put that out there, maybe with a little bit less of the profanity and, yeah, less and other inappropriate yeah, conversation. Sure. But uh, yeah, so and that's uh, that's what today and generally that's what our conversations are, and uh, that's what we're going to go. So Caleb, tell us about this. Uh, this prison break in Nigeria is quite significant. You uh, you uh, noted it um, at a, in a recent article in Long War Journal, um, and yeah. So give, give us a, give us a rundown. Right? No, it absolutely is significant. Um, I believe this is the first ever major prison break, if not prison break in general. You know, this close to Abuja, the, the capital of Nigeria. Um, but essentially, what happened is that you know this team of armed gunmen uh, they raided the Kuje medium security prison in, in Kuje, which is this outskirt suburban town. To Abuja, um, that housed you know over a thousand inmates. Um, not all of them jihadis, not all of them terrorism related. There were other criminals, there were bandits, whatever. Um, but it did house you know dozens of actual you know jihadis and terrorists, um, and that's who you know these these gunmen were going after. And, and there's a little you know confusion over who actually did the the jailbreak. You know, the Islamic State claimed it. Um, but, you know, locals are saying, well, it was the Islamic State with the help of other groups. Um, but, you know, really the, the point is, is that over 800 inmates were, were freed. Um, at least 64 high profile quote unquote Boko Haram members, which I'm saying quote unquote because Boko Haram has become such a catch all term in Nigeria for, for pretty much any jihadi. Um, so, you know, these guys are probably old, you know, Boko Haram being, you know, the, the Shakal Wed group. Um, probably some Ansaro members, but, you know, we're not really sure the exact details on all of them. Um, but regardless, almost, you know, over 800, 300 were later recaptured, um, as of late last week, but I'm sure that's higher now. Um, but yeah, the main confusion still is, you know, obviously the Islamic State claimed it, but did they have help? Um, locals have reported that, you know, it might've been old, quote unquote, Boko Haram networks, again, the, the old Shakao guys, um, which referring to Abu Bakr Shakao, the leader of quote unquote Boko Haram and the first leader of the Islamic State's group in Nigeria before he was deposed for being too radical for ISIS, which. Oh, and that's speaking of Shakao, Caleb, I, I miss him. I, I know he was. In- Dude was a mad lad. He was in- literally insane. 
Yeah. Like, I too mean, insane for AQ, too insane for IS. Like, both groups kicked him out. Yeah. You know, he, he, he was right up there with, with some of the more interesting jihadist characters. And uh, sure, he was evil, but he was quite entertaining. Um, and, oh, you know, some of the most antics. infamous videos. Yeah. Yeah. Good, you know. Anyway, you, look, we get, we got to get so, some type of humor at every job, and you know, always always was appreciative when Chappelle <laughs> came out and and you know showed us just how crazy yeah, he was. Like very, you said, yeah. too crazy for the Islamic State. That is saying something, but yeah, it's really dark niche humor. But it, his videos were they did have a tinge of comedy to them, I think. Um, but anyway, so people are saying that you know people that were you know older older veterans of his network might have helped the Islamic State in this. Um, there's another more nebulous group um, called Dar es Salaam. Uh, I'm not really too sure what that is. Not a lot of people have that much insight into it. But it's another, you know, Islamist jihadist group um, in Nigeria that are, people are saying also helped the Islamic State in this. Um, but you know, this is this is this is what the Islamic State does, and I think this is the the genesis of this overall conversation is that you know operations like this are you know major components of the Islamic State's, you know, core ideology at, at this point. Um, you know, to them, they constantly talk about, we need to free the brothers in prison, that we haven't forgot about them. You know, and this harkens back to, you know, the, the, the breaking the walls campaign, the infamous breaking the walls campaign in Iraq, which we'll get into um, as sort of a, you know, a segue into that. But I, I think that this is, you know, kind of the, the next evolution of, that breaking the walls campaign of the Islamic State has continued that legacy, and now we're seeing it in Nigeria. We saw it in DRC a couple of years ago. We saw it in eastern Syria earlier this year. We saw it in Afghanistan. Um, this is the latest iteration of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely, Caleb. Like, and you know, I find it really interesting. Um, you know, the, the 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 jihad goes through phases, right? And we saw these types of breaks. Um, quite a bit in the early stages of the insurgency or mid stages of insurgency in Iraq and in, as well as in Afghanistan and Pakistan. And, um, you know, it, 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 I think it's telling because what happens is enough jihadists get put in jail. The, the prisons start filling. And we always have to remember these prisons serve as recruiting grounds for the jihadists. So you said there might at least 64 well-known jihadists, are in those prisons, how many have they turned, right? We, we places like every prison uh, that these jihadists are in, you know, it's almost, it's almost like a recruiting center. It's like you're caught, but you know, it's an opportunity to expand the brotherhood of jihadists. Yeah, I mean, it's a well-known tactic for extremist groups, not just jihadists, but extremist groups yes. at large to even have members whose sole job is to be the prison radicalizer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so right now what we're seeing in Africa is what we saw in, you know, I'll say anywhere from like five to 10 to 15 years in places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, uh, Iraq, Yemen, where we, these types of prison breaks we're seeing now in Africa were more prominent and were more prominently, um, uh, the propaganda efforts by jihadist groups, by Al Qaeda really was Al Qaeda 15 years ago and even 10 years ago. It was purely Al Qaeda and its, its fellow travelers. There was a, a promotion, and then we're seeing a lot less of that. Today. Right. Now, and this propaganda thing, I, th I want to hit on just a little bit because I think, you know, we talk about why jihadis do prison breaks or why they make it such a big deal. You know, everyone, I think, 
understands the propaganda aspect, right? Because it's, it's super easy propaganda to not only show that, you know, to your fellow travelers that, you know, we haven't forgot about you, that we're, we're actively doing things to, to help our, you know, imprisoned brothers, but also it makes, you know, governments look weak. It makes, you know, their, their government enemies look completely incapable of stopping this. Um, but I think there are other, you know, major benefits of prison breaks that might not necessarily be as obvious as propaganda. And that's, you know, you have, you're freeing, Leaders potentially, you're you're freeing you know well connected individuals, you're freeing well trained individuals, you're you're freeing military commanders, you're freeing strategists, you know you're freeing all these important people potentially. That's you know, not only give a, a boost to your ranks, but you know you're boosting capabilities. You know, so if a group is you know on the downward swing, a prison break might actually be a transformative you know phase for that group by releasing individuals that help it come out come back up on the upswing, if that makes sense. Um, you know, in addition to, you know, freeing any non-members of the group who might otherwise not join the group, but because you freed them, they join you and then, you know, boost in their rank and file. You know, there's all these huge benefits to prison breaks that, you know, this is why jihadist groups do. I mean, not, not just jihadist groups. I should, you know, caveat that, you know, prison We're breaks We're discussing are, in the right, jihadist I mean, insurgents it's do this. It's ve- yeah, like well. very common insurgent tactic. But yeah. I feel like jihadis have, you know, perfected this. Like this is this is their part of their main MO, especially with the Islamic State. Yeah, it's it's a part of the messaging, right? It's it's they're they're saying we're not going to leave our brothers behind. There's a I think there's a religious context to that as well. I'm gonna read what the Islamic State said when they announced the the breaking or destroying of the walls campaign. I think this was in July 2012, if I recall. I'm gonna directly quote that. Um And here it goes. It says, we give you glad tidings of the commencement of a new phase from the phases of our struggle, right? This gets back to where we were talking about their certain phases and their their struggles, right? It continued, which began with a plan that we have dubbed destroying the gates, breaking the walls, the same thing. It's a translation. We remind you of your top priority, which is to release the Muslim prisoners everywhere and making the pursuit, chase, and killing of their butchers from among the judges, detectives, and guards to be on top of the list. So a note in there, within there, they say Muslim brought prisoners everywhere. They're not saying fellow jihadists or fellow Islamic State. So there, there's a there's an extra propaganda effect. We're feeing the prisoners of Muslims who they're going to claim are being held by apostate regimes or or by Western governments and things like that. So the propaganda effect that this it's it's extremely important messaging and that. The Islamic State's announcement in uh, of this campaign, I, I always felt that that was significant. We had Al Qaeda, uh, I'm sorry, we had in Afghanistan and Pakistan similar things going on. But I thought that that in Iraq that was a very focused campaign. No, it was super transformative for AQI. I mean, I mean, if, then later IS, you know, when they became IS, you know, if it wasn't for the breaking the walls campaign in Iraq, they might not have been able to do what they did. You know, just two years later. Um, so I think you know. Talking about how prison breaks would be transformative is, you know, a key topic for talking about prison breaks is, yes, you do have prison breaks that are just, you know, more run of the mill in terms of, you know, they may happen on a smaller scale or in a period when the group doesn't necessarily need to have, you know, this large scale prison break. But, you know, there are various times where jihadis are, you know, do a prison break and this completely changes the trajectory of not only their history but also like the conflict in which they operate's history you know one thing i think about is like you know acap aqap the al-qaeda in arabian peninsula 
was founded by prison breaks. I mean, it was founded by members who were freed in prison breaks in Saudi and Yemen. You know, if it wasn't for those prison breaks, you wouldn't have ACAP. You know, yeah, these were top tier leaders, many of whom we killed, the US has killed since in drone strikes. I, I seem to recall like seven of their top 10 leaders, and I, I may be off on that number, but it was a significant portion of their top, of their emir, deputy emir, military leader, and uh, whatnot were either prisoners or Abu members who were freed from, um, uh, I'm sorry, from uh, the uh, Guantanamo Bay. So, no, I mean, or like, Saudi prisons. Yeah, we'll so. get Nasser al Wahashi, who was, yes. you know, the, one of the first leaders. He was a GM of AQ writ large. I mean, he was one of those that was freed in 2006, you know, one of the first, you know, iterations of ACAP's leadership. He himself was freed in a prison break. You know, I think Kasim Ramey was freed. Um, I think drawing a blank Khaled on the name. Batarfi, like the, I think the current yep. leader was, 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 yeah. You know, Barfi was, yes, exactly. I mean, all these, all these dudes came from prison break. And this is not just, you know, we're harping on Yemen here, but Yemen is just one example. I mean, Bill, I think we could talk about AFPAC. You know, of, of literally all the prison breaks the Taliban did over the years, so that the, the Pakistani Taliban. Yeah, they're in. I'll give you a couple of examples of, of prison breaks in Afghanistan. This is we're going to go back to 2008 and 2011 in Kandahar province. The Taliban, um, you know, Kandahar, the prison in Kandahar is in Kandahar city, the capital of Kandahar province. Um, you know, this is this at this point in time was a relatively secure location, you know, at the start, particularly in 2011. Um, in the one prison break, um, in the two prison breaks combined, 1500 prisoners freed. Most of them were Taliban. I think it was somewhere around 70 to 80 percent of them were Taliban. Uh, in another prison break in, in Ghazni province in 2015, they freed 140 prisons or prisoners. Uh, almost all of those again were Taliban. So it was a force multiple that the, the Afghan government between freeing prisoners and attempt to appease the Taliban or conducting, um, prisoner swaps with the Taliban. And then these prison breaks, which occurred quite routinely on a, on a smaller scale. Um, uh, there were, uh, you know, other prison breaks. This, a uh, Taliban were replenishing the ranks and they were promoting. Um, these prison breaks on the, even in English language on Voice of Jihad, it's a main propaganda outlet. And, um, it was very important to the Taliban to, to for, again, for their messaging. We're, we're going to take care of all Muslim prisoners, not just our, our own. And, uh, this, go- this government is weak, always a constant message with the Taliban. And, and, and then they replenish the rank and file as well as their leadership cadres. It was each extremely important for the, for the Taliban. And of course, they control Afga- all of Afghanistan today. And then in Pakistan, there was, um, several significant prison breaks. The biggest one that I recall was in April 2012. That was 400 prisoners were freed from uh, a prison in, in the, uh, in the district of Banu, which is right next to the, Tal- uh, the tribal agencies along the border. Um, you had the head of the Pakistani Taliban and his deputy, Hakimullah Massoud and Norwali, um, or I'm sorry, uh, I can't re- recall the deputy's name. You killed both of these guys in drone strikes. Um, they, they were present at the, this tells you how important these raids were. And there, I, I recall visit, uh, videos of hundreds of Taliban fighters gathering and then breaking off to conduct the assault, assault on the prison. And then the, um, the Pakistani Taliban about a year later, less than a year later, 
they announced the um, formation of a group of uh, called the Ansar al-Asir, and it was a unit tasked to free jihadist prisoners as well as support the families of prisoners while they're in jail. Um, Which that was released. a joint unit too with uh, the yes. IMU. Yeah, and a funny story about this. You you know you're in this business too long when you start doing things like forgetting the names of the the deputy emir of the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan a decade ago, or that this unit Ansar Asir Caleb had to remind me about this. I wrote the damn article in 2013, but when you're covering multiple theaters and have you know, and then particularly you know, the time really becomes compressed. So uh, thank you for for reminding me <laughs> about that one, Caleb. <laughs> That's a deep cut, dude. It's a deep cut. It's, it's, it's good stuff. I, I don't, my memory is not a trap anymore. Um, yeah. And, and there were three, um, uh, three members, uh, who were accompanied this, this video that was put out again. This was a big to do for the Pakistani Taliban and the Islamic movement in Uzbekistan. Uh, one, a German commander from the Islamic movement, movement of Uzbekistan. His name is, uh, Yassin Choka. He was a guy who was, um, who was, uh, a featured in a lot of, uh, both Taliban and IMU videos. Um, Adnan Rashid, he's a dangerous jihadist. He was freed in a, a previous jailbreak and, or actually in that jailbreak from the year prior. And then a, a, a Russian IMU member known as Abdul Hakim. By the way, we don't even know where Abdul Hakim is nine years later. I haven't, you know, I haven't ever heard of a report that he was killed or captured. This is how long these guys are out there, but that's the import of prison breaks. Like they, they're taking time to tell us these are important. And by the way, when these videos come out, when there's notices or of that, the, you know, when they, when you see these groups start announcing things like the breaking the walls campaign or the formation of the, of the answer I'll see, or, or when the Afghan Taliban is telling us how important it is, you probably know of something big is coming down the pike and maybe governments should pay attention. Yeah. So just uh, for this, this, you know, Russian guy, Abdul Hakim, um, I actually do know where he is. He's dead. Oh, now. yeah. Uh, he, the Islamic State eulogized him, I think, like maybe in 2016 or 2017. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I, he, like, he basically, I remember I, I wrote this, but he, I mean, he, I think he left the IMU following their the break, you know, yeah. their their dissolution by the Taliban after they joined the Islamic State, and somehow found his way to Syria and Iraq and fought with IS there, and then was eventually killed. And then they eulogized him. But you know, big name guy. Yeah, yeah. These uh, and you know, look, that's a great example of how the you know the the schism between the Al Qaeda and, and the new and the Islamic State would broke off for it really made following some of this really difficult, right? I'm expecting to see uh, Abdul H uh, Hakim was all in with the IMU and the TTP, as that video shows. And yet, you know, with the, with the, when the IMU basically split in half and half joined the Islamic state and half remained sort of went underground, but remained with the Al Qaeda um, on the Al Qaeda side of the ledger. Um, you know, I was expecting that he, I'm not expecting, you know, but you got a guy like Ab Abdul Hakim breaking going to Syria where a lot of IMU guys actually wound up in. So thank you for letting me know about that, Caleb. That's very quite <laughs> yeah. interesting. Again, another deep cut reference, man. I'm full of yeah. it today. Yeah. No, listen, you got my back. That's for sure. Man, so. I, it's so fascinating to me of all of this, all, all, all of these aspects really. But one thing that I think, you know, when we had this discussion the other day that we talked about is, is like the doctrinal differences between AQ and IS in terms of jihadi prison breaks. 
you know, and I think, you know, this Nigeria one kind of, it kind of epitomizes it a little bit of, you know, the Islamic State has made so many different calls in the last few years of we need to do prison breaks, we need to free our brothers, we need to do this. And then you see them happen, you know, and like I said earlier, Nigeria is just the latest iteration of this. But, you know, what was it just last month, Al-Qaeda did a small prison break in Yemen, which completely flew under the radar. No one really reported on it. Al-Qaeda themselves never celebrated it. But I think that really shows the differences in how the, the, the two groups, you know, react to these type of operations now. You know, one thing that we talked about is that AQ sort of, you know, we're just we're speculating a little bit here. But AQ sort of seems to have the luxury to not have to make it such a core part of the ideology of, yeah, you do have some of their members imprisoned in Yemen, but not to the same scale that they were before. You know, the, the, them along with the Taliban control Afghanistan, they have all sorts of deals with the, the Pakistani state. Uh, you know, really the only places that they need to care about their jihadi prisoners would be in Africa. But even then, you know, you don't really read too much about, you know, Shabab members being detained. More often than not, they're killed in battle. Same thing in the Sahel. So it's not really something that AQ needs to have these big mobilization campaigns around of, we need to do these. Now, they'll, of course, like Shabab and JNIM do jailbreaks. They did this. You know, JNIM, Al-Qaeda's group in the Sahel, did a series of jailbreaks in 2018 and 2019 that AQ General Command actually did celebrate. Um, and the same thing last year when Shabab did the, pr- the big prison break in Basaso. In northern Somalia, AQ also celebrated it. But these are, you know, sort of one-off celebrations for those individual things rather than a general, you know, mobilization campaign that the Islamic State does all the time. And I think that's fascinating of that, you know, AQ, which, you know, kind of really, you know, were the, you know, originators of these big mobilization campaigns for prison breaks, no longer have to. Yeah, and Caleb, a part of me, and again, we're speculating as to why. Why is there this different messaging campaign, propaganda campaign difference? Um, however, um, I I have a feeling some of this may have to do with establishment, right? The Al Qaeda brand is established at this point. Um, by the time you know, and the same thing with the Taliban, like their insurgencies were at a level, and in, in all these theaters. Where the beyond that they have to push this message that we're going, we're not going to leave you behind, that we're here to free you or free you for our brother. It's almost like that message has been put forward and, and, and has permeated and that now they're just doing right. They're leading by an example and they don't have to. Whereas it seems to me like the Islamic state is still trying to establish. I know it's kind of strange because particularly in the reporting, the Islamic state gets far more attention. Um, than the Al Qaeda does in operations, even though I would argue Al Qaeda has a far greater footprint and has had far greater success in the jihad. As as you look at it, where it stands today, um, I just still think the uh, the Islamic State is you know, and again, the organization's only what we're looking at six, seven, eight years now of, of establishment, and I I just don't think I think they're still trying to push that message that. You know, they, that they're the ones that are, that are these, uh, that are fighting for the rights of the Muslims where Al Qaeda can say, we've been doing it all along. Right. This and, is just business as usual. I mean, how much of this is like differences in like the core, you know, ideological MOs, you know, in the sense that, you know, look at like two years ago when Al Qaeda did the prisoner swap in Mali, you know, they, they got the free hundreds of prisoners by doing nothing essentially by, by going down these, you know, quote unquote negotiations to free, 
you know, certain Malian lawmakers they were holding, you know, European hostages, but that's relatively minor for them to, to do in exchange for hundreds of guys they got released. They didn't have to do any attacks for that. There's no one really, I mean, the Islamic State, A, wouldn't negotiate in general, but like there, no state would also be willing to negotiate with the Islamic State. So you also that luxury that the AQ has is they are more willing to participate in situations like that, that really negates any necessity to do prison breaks in certain circumstances. Whereas like IS, that's really their only, you know, avenue is they have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look in Afghanistan, right? The, the Taliban when negotiating with the US and leaving the Afghan government out was able to get the release of 5,000 prisoners. And the Afghan government had no, basically had no say in the U.S. pressured them to free them. They didn't have to conduct a single attack to get that 5,000 out. So I think I, you know, again, I, I always, I'm kind of going back to the, the stages of jihad. And it was kind of funny when I read, you know, the, the destroying the walls campaign. Um, they actually say that, you know, at this stage of the jihad, <coughs> this is what we must do. And I, I think that there's, there's probably a lot to that, you know, the established, Al Qaeda feels that it's established. And as you noted, and it, that it, it has different avenues to get prisoners freed. It's almost like they're, you know, when the Taliban took over Afghanistan and, and, and Bagram and other, uh, you know, Poli Chalk prisons were, um, were opened up. The Taliban didn't even really celebrate that. They were just, you know, it just was, I mean, but then again, why would they? They just took over Afghanistan. The prison, you know, breaking those prisoners out of out of jail, that was just sort of a consequence of of, of taking over Afghanistan. So again, it's different stages. That that messaging campaign is far more important. Yeah, this is this whole aspect is fascinating to me. And this isn't to say that AQ doesn't necessarily call for mobilization campaigns in general. I mean, they do kind of. You know, I think one thing that stands out is you know, Wadi Al Qaeda. You know, Aifa Siddiqui, who's you know was arrested for. I, a little blurry on the details. I, I, you know it better than than me. But I mean, regardless, she's in prison in the U.S. And AQ has made numerous calls since her imprisonment of, you know, we need to free her. You know, that's like the only sort of mobilization campaign for a prison break that I can think of off the top yeah. of my head that they do all the time. And and the other person was the blind shake, yes. right? Those yeah. were the two. They were the big two. Aifa Siddiqui, she was the again Lady Al Qaeda. Um, captured in Ghazni province in Afghanistan. I want to say in like 2006 or seven. And yeah, she's in, she's convicted. She was uh, apparently uh, plotting to conduct the chemical attacks or she was scouting for Al Qaeda attacks in the United States. Um, yeah, she is a con and, and all of the groups do it though. Even the Islamic state calls her the Taliban, the Afghan, the Pakistani Taliban, Al Qaeda. Same thing with the blind shake. He, you know, but he's dead now. So they don't call for his, his release, but those were the big two. When it came to the, um, uh, that was constant messaging, but it's almost like they were like symbols themselves, right? Right. It, of, it's, of right. It's particularly symbols. the fact that they were in Western jail, yes. whereas these jailbreaks are typically taking place, taking place in the, um, in, in Muslim countries, right? Where the local government is holding the regime. So I think the, uh, I think those are sort of two, you know, one's calling for an individual prisoner's release yes. and identifying the plate, and the other is calling for getting them all out of yeah. a certain Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean by it. it's like a limited mobilization yeah. campaign. Mm -hmm. of like, it's very pinpointed to one specific individual. But though that's really the only thing I can think of for AQ that they have, you know, anything within that same sort of sphere that the that IS does. Um, yeah, and – and, uh, you know, and, and that's a sustained campaign, the, the really Siddiqui and the blind shake. Um, it's, it's never, it's been, tweet, to it's, be honest with you. I mean, you could, you could throw that up whenever and it'll still be relevant. 
as long exactly. as she's imprisoned. Right. Like, right. Like, so it's not like saying, Hey, we need to get these people out of these jails and this, right. Like, so it's, a, yeah, it's a, it's a great point, Caleb, a, a very, very good point. Um, um, so Caleb, let's talk a little bit uh, more detail about the Iraqi, uh, prison breaks. Um, these were quite significant. And I, um, you know, no, I mean, you definitely know more than, more than I do. I mean, you covered it at the time. Um, I remember several of those articles back in the day. Um, you know, it, you know, the breaking the walls. We, we discussed a little bit about the lasting legacy of breaking the walls throughout this entire conversation, but I think the actual events are also fascinating of like these were massive jailbreaks. Like insanely massive. Yeah. And, and so I'll, I'll just do a couple of them here that came to, to mind in uh, t- 2012 in Tikrit, uh, had over a hundred prisoners freed. Uh, the one year later, um, in actually half a year later in July 2013, uh, 500 prisoners freed from prisons in Taji and Abu Ghraib. And by the way, almost all of these, these were Al Qaeda prisons, right? Um, there and there were prison breaks in Mosul, uh, several of them. I actually, um, had been to some of these prisons, um, when I had met it, embedded with U.S. military police and, um, and military transition teams. So I visited a local prison in Fallujah at the Fallujah compound. And then I was at the uh, prisons that were west of Mosul. Um, and those prisons actually, I think a year or two after I left, there were some prison breaks there that were smaller. But again, Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda in Iraq, which of course became morphed into the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. Um, they put a massive emphasis on this. They, I would estimate thousands and thousands of their fighters, um, at one point, maybe tens of thousands of the fighters probably spent time in prison and, um, thousands of them were broken out of jails. Uh, that I don't think that is a, that number is probably, um, on, on target. The Islamic State made a significant effort to, to hit prisons everywhere and they were quite successful. You had, uh, problems with corruption, uh, that was endemic with the Iraqi police and in the prison system. And then you had the issue of these prisons being, uh, you know, university of, a local university of jihads, uh, where they were just, Al Qaeda was massively recruiting, um, prisoners. I believe the, um, previous emir of the Islamic State was in, um, in one of these served time at one of these prisons and, and was, yes, yes, he did. Yeah. And, and so that's the level of leadership that you had in, if he was at the Buka prison, I mean, and there were thousands at Buka, thousands at Abu Ghraib. Taji was a very big prison. The prison in Mosul was very large. Uh, I believe there, the prison in Tikrit uh, was, uh, was a significant size prison. And these jihadist groups were, recruiting in these um in these prisons and organizing in these prisons and it, it was quite significant so this is a you know a genuine question i have for you bill you know i i'm not super familiar with it but it, it's something that i I've, I've never forgot the imagery from of do you remember the i think it was the, the august 2012 raid in haditha when the Islamic State released that super sophisticated video of like showing, you know, this highly, you know, coordinated, well-trained attack on police station and a few other government buildings in Haditha. Like, did that have any you know, that was taking part during the whole, you know, first iteration of breaking the walls. You know, is that connected to that? Or did it have any sort of relevancy of, you know, people being freed from prisons and this has allowed that to happen? Or was it just this general sense of 
you know, this is furthering the confusion at that time of, you know, you had all these jailbreaks and now IS is doing this major attack in you know, a relatively secure city. You know, are they connected? I think they're connected, Caleb. That's a great question. And and you mentioned this. And it's video. a little off topic for jailbreaks, but a genuine question. No, but but I think it's it's part of of the campaign of of Al Qaeda in Iraq at that time, the sophistication. It's phase two of their insurgency. It's part of their resurgence. They're organizing a campaign to break the free the prisoners to get them back into the rank and file and to, to further the insurgency. And in this video that you're talking about where Al Qaeda in Iraq raided um, the, the city of Haditha and Barwana, cities of Heath or towns really of Haditha and Barwana. Um, I think it's part of that. So this is part of the one you have the, we're going to free our prisoning campaign. And then here is, here's our military resurgence campaign and they're connected. When they roll into this, into the town of Haditha, they go directly to the police station. If they freed any prisoners there, they would just be local prisoners. What you would have is like this basic of it is like your, your, not even your county prison, but your town prison, right? Where you keep the drunks and the, and the petty thieves that are waiting to get transferred over to county. Um, so there, I'm certain they would have freed anyone there who was related, but this, this video, you, you hit the nail on the head. This sticks in my head. Uh, this video I'll never forget because what it did was this was the precursor to the Islamic State's takeover of first Anbar province and then central and northern Iraq. And then ultimately the formation, Al Qaeda's formation of the Islamic, uh, state of Iraq and Levant with, and then the ultimate, bra- uh, the Al Qaeda ejecting the Islamic state. So it is part of that campaign, the campaign of the resurgence of Al Qaeda, of the sophistication of, of its campaigns. Um, to, you know, again, you know, this was more of the military angle, but how does the, how does it, how does its military get to this effectiveness? It's because of that prison campaign, the breaking the walls campaign that frees up resources for Al Qaeda to put together these military teams. I'd have no doubt that some of these, some of the, the jihadists who conducted this attack, um, very likely we were in Iraqi prisons at some point in time. And I'll just, uh, as a, on a personal note, I, I had embedded with, um, the U.S. Marine Corps in both, uh, Haditha and Barwana. Um, these were f- some of the first cities, uh, or first towns really that went over to, uh, the, the awakening that, that broke away from Al Qaeda in Iraq and put up resistance to, to Al Qaeda. And then ultimately, you know, became part of the awakening, the Anbar awakening. Um, and I always felt that this was a very clear message that this was the first, cause this, this video shows the first time, you know, we all remember the convoys rolling across the Iraqi deserts, taking over to Crete and Mosul and, and, uh, and, and Fallujah. But it really, it first began in August of 2012 when now Al Qaeda didn't occupy these towns. They rolled in though in a fashion. Um, they, they gave us the preview of what was to come. I remember after this attack and then watching this video warning military officials and U.S. military and intelligence officials and saying, look, they're telling us the Islamic State is the, the, this was, of course, President Obama saying the Islamic State's the JV team or the Iraq war. People are saying the Iraq war is over. We had, we're victorious in Iraq. And I'm sitting there saying, you need to reevaluate this. They are resurgent. And what we just witnessed there is, is not good. Within a, just a little bit over a year, um, after that video was released, Al Qaeda in Iraq took over and just almost all of Anbar province. And then, uh, and then half a year later was in full control of Mosul, declared the 
the the caliphate and of course you know then you had the al-qaeda islamic state right. split which i mean the split between aq happened shortly after the anbar thing didn't it because they were also moving into syria at the time it happened in 2013 I believe, but regardless. Yeah, you're the, right. I, yeah. I the time, like Caleb, I, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty I'm sure admitting was, my ignorance here, but yes. It was either like right as the Anbar thing was happening or shortly it thereafter. Was, it was right after. So that was early 2014 because Al-Qaeda in Iraq took over Anbar in late 2013. Um, I think Ramadi was the last city to go. And that was, I want to say in December, January, December 2013 or January 2000. So it was early 2014. And then once the the... But then again, I could be wrong about this. Right. I mean, it's a relatively minor point. Yeah. But, yeah. but we, in that time but, frame, you had all yeah. of this happening. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, mean, I was widely speculating of whether or not, you know, that video or like that raid in general was connected to breaking the walls, which I guess tangentially and perhaps even not tangentially directly related. So, yeah, no, yeah, look, the, again, answer, that answers was my question. Breaking the walls and then operations like that, that was, that was the resurgence of Al Qaeda post US surge and withdrawal. And, and so I think they're intricately linked. I don't think you have the prison breaks that you, or, or you have that operation, that sophisticated operation without the, the prison breaks that occurred both before. And then obviously the operations that occur after, with the prison breaks afterward as well. So yeah, I, I, I viewed, I don't view events like that in a vacuum. They're, they're intricately linked. Al Qaeda knew that it needed to replenish its ranks. It knew it had good fighters and good leaders in prisons and all it had to do was get them. And then we can conduct more operations like a diva. And if you haven't seen the video, try to find it somewhere. It is, I have, I mean, for fair warning, it is brutal, but like it is, I've never seen, I mean, it was the first time I've ever seen anything like that. Just the sheer sophistication of that, the execution of that, that raid was, I mean, it was like Western Hollywood style of, of production. You know, it was really, that's also another harbinger of what, what IS would do on the media side. Um, but for real, I, that video is so important. I think, you know, I, I think a clear example of that is there's, there's an, even an academic article written about that video itself, which, you know, shout out to, to Craig Whiteside who wrote it. But I mean, that's how, you know, foundational that video was and just how, you know, the only reason I, you know, bring it up is because it's it's never left my mind since I've seen it ten years ago. This is one we're of, still talking about it. Yeah, no, look, this is this is like you know, if we had a handful of videos, like what are the ones that you remember significantly? This is one of them. You know, the, this is definitely in my top five, if not my top ten. You know, that video, like you said, I mean, look, the people seem to think the Islamic State just grew up out of nothing. Right. It just all of a sudden we had the Islamic State in Iraq. And no, it it, it was it was it came out of operations and it came of course came out of al-qaeda but like as you wisely note caleb that video you know was the precursor to that very sophisticated islamic state propaganda that we we um what we all watched and um you know that video opens them and it's it's very well shot it's very well produced um you got to give them credit where credit's due. It opens up with them in a, a desert training camp in, in, in uh, Anbar province. You know, you see them doing target practice and live fire drills, marching in the desert. Then you, you watch them doing the planning. They divide them into groups. Then, you know, they, they say this group is going to do X, Y, and Z. One of them is going to block the roads. Then, you know, they're using a whiteboard. It's just amazing. Um, they you see them in the, in, uh, Iraqi police uniforms. So they're using, uh, subterfuge here. Um, 
that video, yeah. I, look, I I realize it may be a little tangential to this discussion, but I'll talk about I'll talk about that video all day long. I mean, just bring it back into like the actual focus. I mean, if that's what the the level planning that went into that attack, just imagine the level planning that went into all of the prison breaks as well. I mean, it had to be of the same degree, if not a little more, because those are hard targets. Yeah, exactly. And I, uh, you know, another one of those videos that goes into that top ten. That's the video where they show the prison break. In, um, with the, the TT or the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan when they did that Banu prison break, I'm looking at them organizing their forces. You're seeing the top leaders of the movement of the Taliban in Pakistan operating in the open with hundreds of fighters and organizing their people. And then you're seeing, you're actually watching video of them getting broke, you know. So the, the propaganda, the military aspect, the, the, the campaign to free their prisoners, it's all intricately linked. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that answer. That was, that was actually a genuine question. <laughs> you no, know, listen, it's, it's, I, and I always appreciate intelligent questions, Caleb. I, you know, he, he gets me thinking about it and I wouldn't have thought to, uh, to, to, you know, link these, but I, you know, looking back on it, I have no doubt that, you know, that this is all of a piece and, I, and I'm certain it is all of a piece. Right. Now, if we're going to talk about, you know, videos that stand out, which, Again, we're getting we're getting a little okay. off topic, but it's our show. We viewers, can do what we want, Caleb. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, screw all you guys. You gotta listen to yeah. us. Or turn us off, uh, but don't. You know. One thing that one video that also, you know, I've never forgotten. Uber, I think it was also twenty twelve, of that AQ group in Sudan that like filmed them like digging the tunnel out of cartoon. Yeah, that was classic, right? Yeah. And and you were like, Whoa, there's an AQ group in Sudan, first of all, like, right? Because that stuff was kind of on the but they like filmed the tunnel that they built out of this prison in cartoon. Yeah. yeah. Like that's insane to me. And then also fun fact for, for you and the viewers that like the main guy in that he's dead now. Cause he, all those dudes that like were freed from cartoon, but like were involved in that prison break ended up with Shabab in Somalia. And at least one of them, which I can't remember his name, but he actually had like a rewards for justice yes. thing on him. He defected from Shabab and then Shabab hunted him down and killed yeah. him. Yeah, but tying it all back to that that prison breaking cartoon. Yep. Oh, it's 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 interesting stuff. And and speaking of videos, boy, I mean, how many Shabab videos do you think go in the top of that list? Talk about excellent production. In I'm not giving them credit. I'm just saying, you know, when you're looking at some of these videos, some of the those bases that they overrun. I, I seem to recall. I think the one in Ken, the the Kenyan base seems uh, the Al Ada attack in 2016. Yeah, the like Kenya lost the over 150 troops, yeah. if not closer to 200. Yeah, I'll never forget that one too. That's, that's certainly, that's certainly, maybe we'll have to do just a show. What are your top 10 video, you know, top 10 jihadist videos? <laughs> that's such a break dark down. topic, man. <laughs> <laughs> but still, it's, it's, you know. I don't know if I want to, I don't know if I do that because a lot of them that I can't forget are just like the, the, the one that I got like secondhand PTSD from of just like the sheer brutality. I mean, they're all, the ones that like disturb me are Islamic State videos, but I think that's most people. Um, so maybe we shouldn't do that topic. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> Save mental health. Maybe let that one lie. Yeah, the Islamic State stuff was just pure snuff film material. I no, I, I I take the uh, – Aaron Zoan has this approach of that, like, if it doesn't affect your actual research, I don't watch it. Yes. Like, if, if it doesn't – if it's not it directly related to what I'm doing, I, I don't even bother watching anymore, man. Yeah. I You know, I sh- always struggle to um, – what to do with these videos, right? Do we publish clips? Are we pushing jihadist propaganda? Um, but I've ultimately come down on the side of like one video I remember where the movement of the Taliban, 
think well, no, I think it was the Afghan Taliban. Or I think it actually was the Pakistani Taliban movement. Uh, they lined up a guy and took out a. Um, what, with the SPG nine, yeah, yes, exactly. And yeah, the guy I, up yeah, I'll the never forget that one either, man. That's that's definitely thanks to you. I think you published. it. I did, and 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 yeah, you, you know, again, this gets to like I didn't publish that for clicks, I don't or or hits or anything like that. But like sometimes you need to see the the, the true brutality of these groups to really understand what they are. I mean, you yeah. want to execute someone. I'm not sitting here saying I endorse that, but I I certainly could understand, you know the mentality and the anger of, but there's executing someone and then there's just brazen. Needlessly brutal. Yeah. The, the sheer brutality and it just shows how messed up these individuals are that, that we're fighting. Yeah. And, and this is where I struggle. Like sometimes you need to see that or like the video, for instance, the, 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 the attack on the Kenyan troops. I mean, the Kenyans were telling us this didn't happen. Oh, we only lost 15 guys. And then you watch that video and there's no way you come to that conclusion. Like, so sometimes we're just like, now these days, I mean, as soon as you put something up, it's probably down in a couple of weeks anyway. Like, it's it's a real shame I can't see that um, that Anbar video. I'm sure I could go back and, and track it down. Uh, it's taken Someone down. has it, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I, I probably have it in my archive somewhere. I'm not the world's best store of materials. But, it, you know, you go back and watch that and, and everything clicks. You know, but they do. They, in that video, they're brutally executing Iraqi policemen. They line them up. They put zip ties on them. And again, that's a message in itself, right? This is how you treat our prisoners. You zip tie them. You bag, put bags on their head. You put them on their knees. Well, we're going to do this to you. But like you do, you know, I'm not making a moral equivalence, by the way. That's, that's their message. That's what they're, they're, that's what they're trying to get across. It's, I just think that we do need to see these, uh, or, or some of us do, right? But if you're, it's not, if, if, if that's not your cup of tea, that's quite all right. No, I mean, there is, I think there is some sort of a value of, you know, showing how brutal a group is. Um, but it's always that fine line of where is it, where are we crossing the line that we are, you know, perhaps doing their propaganda for them? Yes. Uh, the Islamic State stuff, it was real easy, right? I mean, their videos were cookie cutter, you know, put them in the orange jumpsuit, put them on their knees, brandish the big sword. You know, and chop someone's head off. You only needed to see that once to understand. Right. And, and maybe a picture of the guy, but like, yeah, it, I, I stopped watching those after the first one because I knew what that was. And it was very clear that what, you know, what was, what we were going to see next and, um, quite disgusting, but uh, yeah. So weird, weird tangent away from prison breaks, yes. but I think, you know, very informative and needed, oh. uh, you know, but hopefully the viewers also thought that, or the listeners. It, it is, but it, you know, again, the prison, the, the the campaign that we're talking about, right, that accompanies these prison breaks, it's part of the propaganda, and we're talking propaganda here. We're talking about the meaning of their propaganda, and, and I, I I think they are intricately linked. I mean, you know, again, you get you get the the people into your rank and file by because a lot of these guys went through the system, you know, so. Um, yeah, so Caleb, do you have anything else to add to the conversation on prison breaks? I, I think we hit all the major points about prison breaks I, that we hit in our conversation. Absolutely. Um, which I hope the, I hope everyone enjoyed it. I mean, this was literally a conversation that we had yeah. for about the same amount of time, too, on the phone. That we were just like, shit, man, we should have recorded that. <laughs> I called Caleb on a quick point. And Caleb, I'm only going to keep you for a minute here. 
And then we'll yeah. talk about 40 minutes. An hour and a half yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be the, uh, the yeah. crux of our conversations. Caleb, really quick question. Hour and a half later. Well, here you go, folks. You get a, you get a little glimpse into our world. It might be a little nerdy, and uh, but uh, hopefully we give you a little bit insight. Um, Caleb, thanks again for joining. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. And you know that job of co-host, you know, it's really yours if you want. It. So <laughs> I'll get back to you on it. <laughs> I know Caleb's a very busy man um, doing some great work at the Bridgeway Foundation, and I really always appreciate you joining and and uh, and having this conversation. Yeah. Thank you for having me, man. And uh, thanks again, everyone, for joining us for today's episode of uh, Generation Jihad. Just a reminder, you can find us on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review, preferably a good one. Thanks again, and we'll see you again next time.